Alan, do you think of yourself as a competitive person? Not really. What about you? Uh, I do. I'm I'm pretty type A, and I compete over stupid things that don't <laughs> matter. <laughs> and it's just a part of my personality that I can't always turn off. You know, I, th- yeah. I think I'm getting better at it as I age, but... I, I feel like I may be competitive about certain things. You know, it just depends. But yeah. And th- I find there are also certain people who kind of trigger that competitiveness. <laughs> sort of dry it out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are, are personal. Like my, my brother and I get really competitive over <laughs> ridiculous things. Um, yeah. But I also get competitive. Like there are a couple of people in my professional life who... I may not act super competitive with, but I feel very competitive with. Mm. And it frustrates me that I feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, I get that for sure. When I think about competitive people, there there are two big angles that that I see. There's the genuine competition. Like, I want to beat you and I have to beat you. But then there's also just the sort of fun-loving side, the kind of people who can turn anything into a game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and I, I think Jake Peralta from NBC's series Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the second sort, mostly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I agree. He's, yeah, it's it, it does kind of add a, 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 a fun little spice to life, you know? Things like making For like, sure. like, like small bets on, on stupid things is something that... I, I, I think it's kind of fun. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Unsolicited, the podcast that gives fictional characters advice they did not ask for. I'm Emily Blake. And I'm Owen Evans. Today we're talking about Jake Peralta. And over the course of eight seasons, we see a huge character arc for him. He really grows in both maturity and his partnership but somehow he does it without any any loss of humor or charisma yeah (laughs) so tell me a little bit about jake what are what do we need to know about jake so jake is a detective he works at the 99th uh precinct of the uh, new york police department in in brooklyn and he's kind of your classic stereotypical uh a uh, genius detective. You know, we, we get these characters all the time that are just kind of offbeat a little bit, but they always manage to to catch the bad guy in some peculiar ways. Um, and uh, that's kind of that's kind of Jake Peralta's uh, mo, if you will. And he um, he is extremely competitive. Uh, that's going to be the, the the continuing theme through this episode. Um, and uh, has you know uh, uh, an, an interesting approach to his his uh, relationships and, and things like that, um, and uh, he's a very enticing character. I'm excited to talk about him with you today. Yeah, I find him really appealing. Not in the sense that I would necessarily want to be close to him in real life. I think he'd drive me nuts <laughs> in real life. Like he's yeah. not very reliable. No, nope. he's super cocky. Um, he, he isn't very considerate of others' needs or wants, um, Mm -hmm. but 
at, at his core, he's a really good and thoughtful and loving person, super loyal to his friends, um, will will go out on a limb for people over and over and over and really dedicated to justice, like high degree of integrity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Jake has a couple of couple of events that show up throughout the Brooklyn Nine-Nine series that are competitive events. The first that comes to, to mind shows up in every single season, and it's his Halloween heists. Um, <laughs> every season on Halloween, it starts out as a bet, I believe, and yeah. he and his captain, Captain Holt, bet that whether on whether or not Jake will do paperwork. And if he if Jake loses, he has That's to right. do a bunch of extra paperwork. And if Jake wins, Captain Holt has to do his paperwork for him. <laughs> but in the in the course of the heist, Jake ends up uh convincing the rest of his squad to help him out by saying he'll do their paperwork. So Captain Holt ends up stuck with all of the precinct's <laughs> paperwork. <laughs> I love um, a returning bit in a show like this. It's a, I'm yeah. a sucker for things like that. And it's it's so funny. And it it really is the, the peak of this whole idea of, of Jake being competitive because they just go to such drastic lengths to to one-up each other every time you know <laughs> enlisting well and the first one is relatively on the spot like hey let's make this bet okay we're gonna do it here we go <laughs> but the next year they do a halloween heist and it turns out that jake has been planning his his side of the heist for three months but <laughs> captain holt has been planning his since the evening of the last halloween yeah, heist that's right you played me like Franz Blueheim plays the flute. But how? I've been planning this theft for three months. I know, but I've been planning it for a year. Last Halloween, after you won the bet, I went back to my office to do everyone's paperwork, but I did no paperwork. I started to plot my revenge. I began by creating a word cloud. So they end up with these incredibly elaborate schemes where they're working with uh, other criminals that they've brought in and released or they're working with there's one recurring character who looks just like charles boyle another jake's best friend and another detective in the precinct mm-hmm. um and he comes in every year and and <laughs> pretends to be charles and it's it really is a not just a clever piece of cinema but but a really insightful look at the, the personalities of this group yeah. and why they work so well together. Yeah, to have totally. one person who would do such long-term planning for a competition is one thing, but <laughs> to have eventually an entire precinct yeah, <laughs> participating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they all kind of complement each other with their, with their personalities and, and skill sets, which just makes right. for r- really engaging television. Well, and an, an element of the heists is that there are always stakes. So the stakes of the first bet are that they the paperwork factor, right? Uh-huh. But those stakes kind of get higher. And spoiler alert, the series ends when Jake is trying to say goodbye to the rest of his, his squad. And he plans this elaborate heist where... <laughs> He's planted gifts for each person. They're always trying to steal something. 
Um, one <laughs> once it's Captain Holt's watch. Another time it's a, a medal of honor that he's won. Um, the final one is a fake medal of honor that's made out of really inferior materials that Jake thinks is far far better. Um, <laughs> but he's planted going away presence for each member of the squad and is attempting to lead all of his his teammates to the correct gifts so that they all think they've won until he eventually unmasks and says hey uh, this is actually a, a goodbye party yeah um yeah and and the stakes just kind of get higher every time yeah yeah um another another place that they use bets and competition and just make it gamified and fun is the Jimmy Jab games. And the name comes from, oh no, I'm not going to say that. Not going to say where the name comes from because I'm worried I'm going to say it wrong. But the, the Jimmy Jab games are a series of competitions that also take place several times over the course of the series. And the, the first one is because Jake wants Rose's friend's phone number. And Rosa oh, wants Jake right. to stop asking for her friend's phone numbers. Um, <laughs> so if if he wins, he gets the number, and if he loses, then he has to stop asking. Yeah, so it's almost it's less about being interested in this person and, and more about winning at that point, right? Exactly, and that's a major theme of that episode, um, but he also, over the, the course of it, creates an almost Olympics-like series of office games <laughs> that they can <laughs> all play together. And it, it really is, I would love to have, to work with people that I felt like we could do that kind of stuff with, you know? What a gift. Yeah, yeah, that would really, that would really brighten up the, the, the kind of, the, the, the kind of office, office thing, um, I you know mm-hmm. it's uh, I I'm not the kind of person that would be able to you know just just thinking about that kind of mentally exhausts me. I think that kind of is probably a result of I don't know I don't I don't always feel super competitive like I said earlier it it, it really depends what it is but sure I'd love to participate if if somebody um, else would do <laughs> had the idea. One of the things I love about Jake's particular brand of competitiveness is that it actually builds bonds with people rather than breaking them. Yeah, you're right. Uh, his first date with the woman who will become his wife, my personal hero, Detective Amy Santiago. She's a great um, character. I love her. She's She is comically goody two-shoes. She's... <laughs> She is everything that I am, but a police officer somehow, Um, which I could never do, like not the fit for me. But their relationship really starts with competition. So one of the first episodes of the series, we see Jake and Amy competing to see who can make the most arrests. Mm -hmm. The stakes of this particular competition are that if Amy wins... Jake has to give her his highly prized car. And if Jake wins, Amy has to go on the worst date of her life with Jake. And he's been very (laughs) open that this will not be a serious date. He is going to actively try to make it miserable. Well, I'm sorry that I can't stay, but I have a terrible night planned for Amy. 
First up is the mall photo studio, where we'll take our official date portrait. The picture will be the two of us playing one saxophone. Then, some peel and eat shrimp for dinner at a dangerously cheap seafood restaurant. And then, I've contracted a youth choir to serenade us. They'll sing to her at midnight in the middle of Times Square. She and 500 German tourists will savor that memory for all times. Jake, do you know why little boys pull little girls' pigtails on playgrounds? Because they're so easy to grab. They're just begging to be pulled. Because they like the girls, and that's the only way they know how to get their attention. What are you saying? All of this teasing, this elaborate date, somewhere down deep, you like Amy. Like, like her, like her. Okay, that's straight up insanity. How much did you spend on tonight? $1,400, but all of it's on credit cards, so it's like $5 a month for the next 2,000 years. I do not like Amy. If you're putting a lot of effort into a joke, why don't you just sit down and have a real conversation with her? Okay, Boyle, you live in your ex-wife's new boyfriend's basement. I'm not taking advice from you. That's Jake right. does end up winning the bet, and they go on a truly terrible date. Really, He really buys bad. her this dress that reminds him of all of the the dresses that girls wore to bar mitzvahs when he was a kid <laughs> just over the top ridiculous uh one of the first events of the date which is... which she still slays in by the way oh yeah she looks incredible <laughs> she looks incredible but miserable um one of the first events he takes her to a bar with all of the rest of the 99th precinct and they do an unrehearsed copy of the dance from the Titanic. <laughs> uh, he spends $1,400 on this date, and then it's interrupted because they both end up called out to be on a stakeout. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, he's he is also comically in debt the entire series. <laughs> like, he's, he's in a devastating amount of debt. Um, but still is willing to invest in, in ridiculous nonsense like this. And yeah, yeah, it's great. And so this, this competitiveness really kind of continues throughout their whole relationship. If I'm not mistaken, right. They're it really constantly does. Yeah. kind of, you know, competing over cases and who's, who's going to make the arrest and, and, and all sorts of silly little things. And eventually it morphs a little bit and it becomes a little less professional. They do end up married and we see quite a lot of their relationship, which is a beautiful, supportive relationship. Yeah. Um, in in the final episode, actually, Jake leaves his his role as a detective, which he absolutely loves, to become a full time dad to their kid. And part of the reason he does that is because Amy is offered a chief of department position and he wants to support her career and the other yeah. half of of his decision is that his dad abandoned him and he's really grappling with that throughout the whole series so this is the end of a cycle for him also yeah yeah um which is that's that's so cool to see and, and such a such a good message i think to send out to the male viewers you know what i mean yeah so so much of our pop culture and, and television stuff that we see is just i i think since since just not not the right message about how men should behave but but that's that's, yeah. that's a really cool thing to see you know supporting his wife's career um stepping you know, yeah st stepping into that dad role he does have that final heist as well and the gift he leaves for amy 
they have this really funny exchange um, where it becomes clear they are still absolutely as competitive as they ever were. He leaves her an egg and she says, is this because of that time I beat you at Mario Kart? Because you did not beat me at Mario, you know, and it goes into uh-huh. this whole thing. Um, but then it turns out that what he's gifted her is a necklace that has a little binder on it with working tabs that she can change because it's not currently alphabetical. Hey, great news. The perfect goodbye is back on and we have a new teammate. Really? What even is our team? Because I know you gave me a dummy tooth. And did you find what was inside of it? Yeah, an egg. And do you know why I gave you an egg? Because eggs suck and you're still mad about that one time I beat you at Mario Kart? It was beginner's luck. Just open it. A necklace with a little binder on it? It has three tiny tabs. One for me, one for you, and one for Mac. Oh, it really bothers me that they're not alphabetical, but I assume that it's functional and I can correct them. It is and you can. And I love it and I'll treasure it forever. Now tell me where the real tube is, you bastard. I'm sorry, Ames, but I can't do that. You've done your part. Now it's time to sit back and enjoy the rest of the show. You're cutting me out? And it, it, it is a really cool character arc and relationship to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I love them. Um, so yeah. I'm curious, Emily, what, what are your thoughts about this? Is, is it, is it positive and, and healthy to have a, 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 a little dose of competitiveness in, in a romantic relationship? I think so, but I think so because I like playing games and yeah. not everyone likes to play games. Yeah. Um, for me, actually, it would be really disappointing if there wasn't a competitive streak or at least a competitive element in my relationship i would think it wasn't very fun yeah Um, kind of stale maybe sure by the same token my partner and i are in the same career field we are both music educators and especially high school music is sort of a weird ego-driven world that it really shouldn't be Mm -hmm. um If you're focused on providing the best for your students, every school and situation is different. But because music in and of itself is a sort of a competitive pursuit, people end up feeling a lot of that competition. Whose band is better? Whose choir is better? Mm -hmm. Who gets to go to to which performances and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And and in that way. I think it would be really easy for our relationship to take a negative turn. Um, We both have very different sets of opportunities Mm -hmm. just by nature of the paths that we have taken to get where we are. Yeah. Uh, And I think it would be really easy for that professional competition to undermine our relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we're careful to try and avoid. Mm -hmm. What what does that look like? I mean, do you you guys uh, address that regularly or how, how do you handle that? Sort of. Our our schools have very different student and community cultures. And it, it really, when we come home at the end of the day and talk about what our day-to-day life looks like, it it's almost like we're doing completely different jobs, all sort of in, in different countries. Like, our experiences are so different. And we have become really open about saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm really happy for you about this. I can't talk about it right now or vice versa. Like, I know this is a problem that you need help thinking through and talking through, but right now I can't have this conversation. Mm -hmm. And 
being respectful of those boundaries is really important. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's our boundary reference for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, you've got to have it. Everyone, yeah. What about you? What do you think about having a competitive streak? Well, in relationship? My, my relationship looks a little bit different. We, we are not in the same career field. Um, uh, and um, I, I think my partner is probably more competitive than I am and it, it it comes out sometimes when when we're playing games and, and things like that and uh, but um it uh it's 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 fun it, it you know it's it's never been something like where either of us has felt bored because you know um I, I we, we we do challenge each other a lot um, not only in board games but in in other areas of of our life um, you know, I, I think our personalities are different enough that we bring different things to the table, um, different positive qualities that that we both take on from each other. And so I've I've experienced a lot of personal growth over the last two years um, from my relationship. And then, and that's been I think you know it's it's cool for 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 me to see, and and I th- I think she sees that as well, and and I see that in her. So it's 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 great. It's also That's awesome. Uh, it's also the the first time I've been in a, a relationship with a person that was not a musician. Um, oh yeah. And so I and I wouldn't say my past relationships were necessarily competitive be, because of that, but it is definitely a, a different dynamic. Um, and uh, I mean, she has been a musician though. Like she has a musical background, mm-hmm. even though that's not a part of what she does now. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's that element? contributes to your ability to support each other yeah definitely ab- absolutely and she um she 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 understands you know why why music is so important to me and and why it why it's worthwhile for me to invest the majority of, of my time in, in that pursuit which is which is great and, and you know she's extremely supportive and and always has been and so that's i don't know if that's necessarily related to what we're talking about but <laughs> It's really nice. Should we start putting a an every episode shout out to Allison? Yes. Because I think we should. Yeah, shout out to Allison. <laughs> Allison, we love best. her. We love her. We love Robbie too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Robbie is also pretty great. As much as we love a little bit of competition, I think there is real potential when we start feeling competitive in our professional relationships to have some pretty negative stuff happen. I agree. Um. Yeah, a competitive foil to Jake is the Vulture, who's a character in the show who works for major crimes. And he's called the Vulture because when detectives are almost at the point of an arrest, he swoops in, makes the arrest, and takes credit for the case. Yeah. So, understandably, he and Jake and the rest of his his team um, are pr- pretty competitive with each other because of this dynamic. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's a real element in healthy competition of respect. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, you've, you've got to respect people's boundaries. Um, and uh, this, this, whole th- this whole thing with the vulture, I mean, and, and taking credit for, for other people's work um, and, and trying, I'm, I assume this all comes from the feeling of, you know, needing, feeling like... Uh, you, you want to advance in your career, right? You want to look, you want to look like you're successful, um, get that promotion or whatever, be be recognized 
Um, and, and so the vulture has this desire, um, so much so that he's willing to, to undermine his, his colleagues, which is, you know, something that I think happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and when I think about treating others with respect, whether professionally or otherwise, a big piece of that is credit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of what makes this competition unhealthy between Jake and the Vulture is that neither is giving the other credit. I don't know, based on the show, which is pretty Jake-oriented, <laughs> I don't know whether the, the Vulture deserves any credit or not. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't really look like it. But if he was coming in and making the, the arrest and then going, hey, thanks to the hard work of the, the 99th Precinct, they did a ton of the work to make sure this arrest happened. That feels super different than him just coming in and being like, major crimes made another arrest. Congratulations to us. See ya, suckers. Yeah. Which is pretty much his attitude. You know, before I solve this case, I'd like to thank you for doing all the super easy work. You know, the real Nancy Drew level stuff. Oh, yeah, did Nancy Drew solve a lot of murders? Yeah, she did. Murder on Ice, Recipe for Murder. Nancy was a wonderful detective. I wanted to be her when I grew up. Thanks, Charles. That's helpful. Hey, should we take odds on how fast I'll solve this case? Nope. I mean, what was it with Diaz's last impossible extortion case? What was it, six hours? That's because it was 98% solved. The last 2% are ours to get. That's why they leave it in the milk. Yeah. Not, not to mention, and I don't know if this is the case in the police field, but in a lot of careers, it is the case where you're working to fill a quota, and then that could relate to some kind of financial bonus or stipend right. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. As well as promotions. Typically, we think when you do good work, you end up promoted for doing good work. Mm-hmm. But that can be a, a real problem if you're doing all of the background work and then someone else is receiving the credit Mm -hmm. and that's actually a a major feminist issue that we talk about a lot women women are tasked with a lot of what is called non-promotable work which Mm -hmm. is stuff that has to get done but is not going to earn you a promotion yeah so the the most classic example is note taking Mm -hmm. right if you're in a meeting and it's a mix of men and women almost every time the person who's taking notes ends up being a woman Mm -hmm. doing that extra little bit of work is never going to get her a promotion Mm -hmm. no one's like gee you know why i think you should get a pay raise i've noticed that every meeting you're the person jotting down notes but yeah it is additional labor, especially yeah. if you have to clean them up and send them out afterwards. Yeah, there's another totally. little, little chunk of your day that goes away. Yeah. Plus, you know, and kind of I, the same thing is happening here. Yeah, totally. Um, and this this idea of of non promotable work uh, makes it hard, makes it more difficult to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Right. If if you were yeah. to try to contribute an idea to a meeting or something like that, um, but be shut down for it because you know maybe well and let's talk this is a little bit of a left from from jake and his competitions but let's talk a little bit about what brooklyn 99 is is doing in terms of its role in society so this show has been running for about eight years um and has ended now but it was still running 
during a period of time when police brutality was receiving a lot of necessary media attention Mm -hmm. and especially brutality against people of color. Um, One of the, the critical dynamics in the, in the story is that captain Holt, the police chief who takes over the nine, nine in the first episode of the series is both black and gay. And he Mm -hmm. deals a lot with the kind of, uh, the kind of criticisms that he took and the kind of abuse that he dealt with yeah. as a black gay officer in a police force. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an episode also where Terry, who's a, another powerful character um, and kind of bucking a lot of traditional masculine roles, he's absolutely ripped, <laughs> but he has two twin daughters and his, his, primary concern is about being a role model and and a good dad for his for his kids yeah and he's super Um, sensitive i mean if you had to guess how many times would you say we see terry cry throughout the whole series it's a good number of times yeah yeah and uh, i mean they also make a big deal about how his favorite snack is yogurt you know (laughs) not like jerky or i don't know what a masculine snack is but i'm pretty sure it's not yogurt (laughs) probably not yogurt um, there is an episode also where he is dealing with other police officers mistreating him. I, I think he's looking for one of his kids lost blankets. Um, mm. and he ends up being asked what he's doing in the neighborhood and, and deals with the aspect of, of policing people of color very differently than we police white people. What's wrong? I got stopped by a cop last night. Stop for what? Stop for walking. That makes zero sense unless... Oh, crap. I see what happened. Yeah. Cyrus, that's terrible. That's so messed up. Oh, jeez. I have no idea what's going on. You got stopped for being black. Get woke, Scully. What happened? It was right after I found Mumu. What are you doing in the saver, buddy? I live here. Listen. Whoa, you need to lower your voice. Lower my voice? You don't put your hands on your head. Turn around. Don't make any sudden movements. I didn't do anything. Also, I'm... Keep talking. See what happens next. Huh? Big guy. Well, did you tell him you're a cop? I tried to, but things escalated so quickly and I didn't have my badge on me. I eventually told him and he finally looked me up in the system and let me go. I can't believe this. I mean, nothing like that has ever happened to me. And I've done some pretty suspicious things in the street. And mm-hmm. it, it really is an, an important and prescient way of addressing this. Because in a, a sitcom about police officers during the time we're living in has yeah. the potential to be so insensitive. Yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, I think the writers were very careful about that. Um Mm-hmm. And kudos to them because it is I do love this show for for that reason. And on the opposite side of the coin, um characters like like Rosa, um a, a a woman in the office who doesn't allow herself to be walked on by her male colleagues at all. You know, which kind of goes against that stereotype. We see a number of the officers in the precinct dealing in a serious way with the notion of their own vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So Rosa is one of those. She has a really tough exterior. She always wears a leather jacket and rides a motorcycle to work and never, almost never smiles and mm-hmm. is terrifying. They, they talk <laughs> openly about how scary Rosa is. Um, in contrast to Jake and Terry, who definitely have, have some masculine characteristics, um, but also are really sensitive and, and thoughtful and considerate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. And all of those people really struggle with the idea of their vulnerability. The first episode, Terry's dealing with uh, the real the realization that his job is very risky and he doesn't want to leave his daughters without a father. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And Rosa has a lot of trouble opening up to people and telling them about what she's experiencing in her family or kind of the softer sides of her life. Yeah. And Jake never wants to admit that he could lose in any way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like this Jake's competitive side is, is kind of a a defense mechanism in in a way, you know, because um, to, to, to accept that, that you might fail, that is a sign of, of vulnerability for sure. You know, you have to be be willing to take that hit to your ego. I think that's that's a positive yeah. personality trait. Absolutely. Um, um, one of my one of my favorite relationships to watch is Rosa and Captain Holt because they're both uh, they're both pretty uh, keep things locked up pretty tight, and so their their friendship is. It's cute because you just, you know, they have a, a deep admiration for each other, but they would never show it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can, you can still see it. Yeah. Well, and Captain Holt is another person who doesn't outwardly demonstrate his vulnerability. He, he's mm-hmm. known for being unreadable. His facial expression is almost always the same, but he also is very <laughs> open verbally about what he's experiencing. Um, so in, in mm-hmm. the first episode, he is seen as inscrutable and they talk a little bit about how, well, I, I think Captain Holt's feeling this and they go through several characters who misread him to to their detriment. Um, and then at the end, he just openly says, oh, well, I'm gay. I'm, I am married to a man named Kevin. And everyone's like, what? Uh, and he goes, I don't know why you didn't know that. I haven't been trying to keep it a secret. And they flash to all of these different things. Like he has an article about being the first openly gay police captain and, you know, all, all of these different, very right. obvious factors that, that show that this is an element of his personhood. But it's interesting how some uh-huh. of the characters are unwilling to be open and vulnerable some of the characters are open and vulnerable but can't be read as open and vulnerable and just sort of all Mm -hmm. of the all of the different ways that you might fail to be vulnerable are represented really clearly (laughs) in brooklyn 99 yeah yeah absolutely um oh who's the character uh the the redhead the redhead woman I, i can't remember her name gina Gina, Gina, she also, I think, has uh, a does not want to be vulnerable, but she kind of hides it in a different way. She's got a different defense mechanism, I think, where she's just like ego. ultra quirky all the time. Yeah, that too. Yeah, uh-huh, ego. Yeah, she's known for being a, a very serious dancer. <laughs> um, yeah. And she's part of a number of dance teams, and that is all she really cares about. Beyonce is her absolute idol. Um, (laughs) And she, she just talks about everything as if she is the only person who can, who can do the things and her success is inevitable. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I might be a secretary for the police station now, but just wait. And she does. She ultimately owns like a multi-million dollar business and becomes very wealthy 
and mm-hmm. um, is really successful, s- sort of almost magically. Like, she doesn't seem to do anything <laughs> to earn it. It just kind of happens to her. Yeah. There's, you know, there's there's one character that is the exact opposite of all the people we're describing, and that's Charles Charles Boyle. He's he's mm. vul- vulnerable to a fault, and the complete opposite side of the competitiveness spectrum. He always wants Jake to win. You know, he's he's yes. fine with with being second to Jake, pretty much always. Yeah. And what a beautiful form of friendship. I would be really <laughs> curious to see this show reframed. With Charles Boyle as the central figure, yeah, just trying to support Jake, I think it would end up being very Parks and Rec y. Sure, um, yeah, because mm-hmm. that's kind of you know that's it's kind of the nature of that show. But I don't know if anyone would watch that show if if it was gender swapped. You know, if it was a man who was the central figure, just trying to make his friends successful. Instead yeah. of a woman. Interesting point. Well, is it about time we offer some advice to uh, our man of the hour here? I think so. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What advice do you have to offer to Jake? My advice is for Jake to allow himself to be more vulnerable, like we were talking about, because I think... I think this ultra competitive side of him is a side effect of that. I, I think that's the, the, the thing about vulnerability is, is the, the root issue. At least that, that's the mm-hmm. way it seems to me. So um, I think some easy things to do are, um, you know, try, try to be intentional about recognizing other people um, and, and their successes and their victories. Um, which, which to, to his credit, he, he does, but um, you know, he, he ultimately is, <coughs> the most concerned about about himself, I think, the the, the majority of the time. At least that, mm-hmm. that's the that's the way that it kind of seems to me. What about you? Sure. I I like Jake's competitive streak, and I think mostly he's doing it in a healthy way. But I would like Jake to invest in a financial education. Um, mm. I think often the lengths he goes to for the sake of competition are more troubling than the competition itself. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, putting stakes on a lot of what's happening in his life is great. It makes life a lot more fun. It helps build relationships with people who he loves dearly. Um, But destructuring his own life in order order to (laughs) compete is problematic and i'd like to see him establish some boundaries with himself here is what i will do here is what i won't do yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah especially out of respect for for amy right because that's that's something that Mm -hmm. that will take a toll on her or does does take a toll on and their kids yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yep so it's it's great that he's making a lot of personal sacrifices for his family, but <laughs> you have to have the, you, to you gotta have the resources to sacrifice first, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I just think if he lets Amy be in charge of finances, they're probably going to be a lot better. I don't know. Amy goes a little over the top sometimes too, though. <laughs> they're just such passionate people, the both of them. They are such passionate people. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, 
Unsolicited is a Salty Pup production. Music by Tristan Hurd. Publicity by Allison Biggie. Audio engineering by Robbie Rutherford. And art by Erica Peterson. Thanks also to my co-host, Owen Evans. My name is Emily Blake. Thanks for listening.